any given Monday. The weekend's over, the final sirens have sounded. We've got our winners and losers, our champs and our chumps. Any given Monday. So now it's time to look back and evaluate all the games, dramas and controversies from the best sport in the world. Any given Monday. So forget about those back-to-work blues and settle in for this week's edition of Any Given Monday. Please join your hosts, author and historian Dr Dan Eddy and local football expert Owen Carter as they're joined by special weekly guests for your most comprehensive wrap of the weekend's action. Let's get to it. Any Given Monday. Well, good morning or afternoon and welcome to yet another edition of Any Given Monday. Again, don't ask me what round we're in, what <laughs> week it is, none of that. We'll, uh, we'll make it up as we go. Actually, just looking at the date, it's the 24th of August 2020, which is good to know. I wasn't sure if it was 2021 yet. I was hoping it was because this has uh, been one hell of a year, <laughs> but hopefully uh, Any Given Monday brought to you by the paper news is giving you a little bit of joy to start your week um whether you're going to work or in lockdown i'm not too sure but uh hopefully uh we can uh, give you a bit of a breather from everything that's going on at the moment dan eddie here with you as always waffling on and thankfully have my uh much more interesting co-partner co-pilot let's not let's not put the wrong words out there i don't want people <laughs> thinking you and me are um <laughs> <laughs> Owen Carter, thanks for joining us, mate. You're digging yourself a bit of a hole there, mate. Thank you yeah, very much for that start. very kind introduction, Dr. Dan. Uh, I don't know about much more interesting, but I like to think I can bring a smile to a, a few people's days. And um, lots to unpack this week, isn't there? Yeah, good to get back to a somewhat traditional round again. Uh, just a bit of anticipation for the weekend, which is good. Uh, I think we're all... Maybe footied out slightly. It had been every night for about three years, so it was good to just get a little, um, a little uh, breather of a couple of days. I didn't feel too lost. I thought I might, but I, I didn't, which was nice. And then, um, what was it? Friday come around again, and it was time for the footy. And I think that was just about right. So that was good. How did you? How's your week been? I know you're still plugging away at work there, mate. Uh, how's that all going? Any any customers at all at this this stage, or is everyone just sticking staying at home? No, there's uh, plenty of people still trying to get in the front door, even though we're not allowed to let them in. So <laughs> plenty of uh, plenty of people uh, that seem to be living under a bit of a rock and and not knowing exactly what the restrictions and, and guidelines are. So having that conversation on a daily basis multiple times, so it's getting a, a little bit tedious. But you know that's the life of retail for you, mate. They uh, it's a very repetitive job, and it is what you make it. So we try to have a bit of bit of fun down there but no look and apparently out. the yeah. apparently the customer's always right too so i hope you're um, keeping, <laughs> <laughs> keeping that theory going um look uh at the risk of getting myself into trouble that's not a hundred percent accurate uh, <laughs> if you uh are to look into the history books there you'll find that that is actually a slogan made up by a company in america from the 70s i think it was so uh, the, the the customer has uh, just uh, taken that along for the ride into the current day and yes, while uh, we try to do the best for them as much as possible uh, I can guarantee you that is not 100% accurate Boy, how um, 
how much abuse must you have been copying that you've bothered to go and look into the annals of time to work out who who dare come up with that quote <laughs> all those years ago? You, you must have had a shocking day one day uh, on the customer front and you just thought, right, I'm getting to the bottom of this because whoever said this is, is a real so-and-so and I need to find out the origins. There you go. Wow. I'll tell you what, uh, when you've been in the retail game as long as I have and there'll be a few, like, uh, I'll try that again, people listening out there that have been in the retail game as well, they'll know very well that the customer is definitely not always right, or they will <laughs> always look after them as best as possible. Yes, of course. Um, your week's been good otherwise, mate. You've, how did you go reacquainting yourself with the lovely wife and, and kids at, at home because they haven't seen you for two or three weeks with the <laughs> games every night? So you get home from work, you go and lock yourself in your office and you don't talk to them for the, for the night and then... Back up, work again the next day, and then footies on that night. So how's it been, just reacquainting for three or four days? Well, probably a bit much like yourself, man. It's been a bit refreshing to have a bit of a reprieve, and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, actually got to, as you say, spend some time with the family and girls, and I've got two lovely little daughters, and got to spend a bit more time with them before bedtime, and uh, watched a few TV shows, caught up with my wife, and... Uh, no, it's been good, but uh, always good to get back to the footy. And uh, as we we're talking off air, it, it was good to have a lead in rather than a continuous flow of games for once. Yeah, good to have that anticipation leading up to a round that we're that we're used to. Um, although we have to get ready for another uh, big run in the in the next uh, week or two as well. But mm. uh, just the one game. The Monday when we last broadcast to you, uh, Richmond and the Suns were playing that night. The Tigers got up in the end. It wasn't a smashing by any means, and the Suns were actually ahead during the third quarter, and I was praying for a bit of a victory, but um, the Suns ended up not uh, quite getting over the line. 53-32, to the Tigers. The the main talking point, we, we won't go into the game, but the main talking point was the Tom Lynch saga. And um, mm. he became the narrative for the week. What did you make of, of Tommy's little clash with Mr. Collins and how how that played out during the week? Um, I think if... Uh, look, not to uh, turn anyone into a victim here, but I think if Colo hadn't uh, sunk like a sack of spuds at one stage, we wouldn't have even really picked up on it. I dare say those little gut punches happen a lot throughout the game and... I think what was interesting, just looking at the vision, is uh, he got the the slap in the guts from Tommy Lynch, and he ran on for a little bit more, and then he sank like a sack of spuds. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that was a delayed reaction or he was going for something a bit more there. And look, we're going to touch on staging a bit later on in the episode. Uh, mm. But yeah, no, it, it made uh, for an interesting little sideshow, I thought, in what was uh, a bit of an arm wrestle for majority of that game, and. I know we don't want to get delve too much into it, but look, Suns did themselves no disservice. And can I just say, Jack Lacocious, he's kicking is incredible. Mm. Um, so penetrative and uh, accurate as well. But yeah, look, uh, Tigers did what they need to do in that game. Trent Cotchin's uh, leading the way uh, very well since he's come back into that side as well. Yes, uh, I was taking a lot of positives out of the Suns at the moment. They They weren't great. Start of this round, round thirteen. They, you know, on the Friday night, they they weren't up to it against Carlton, but um, coming off a short break. But they've been one of the 
one of the main highlights I think for the year for me is is watching that Suns team play and just looking at some of those young players and thinking, oh geez, uh, these guys are going to be if they can stay together, they'll be around for five or ten years to really make be a chance to take the Suns to that first flag eventually. Yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, there's definitely a few fellas there. Uh, mentioned Lacocious already. Uh, Noah Anderson looks like he's the goods and. Mm. He's going to turn out to be a really good player. Once Matt Rowell gets back up and running, they're going to have a pretty formidable midfield. Tuke Miller's a really good pickup that they got a couple of years ago, and he's got leadership written all over him. Uh, Jack Bowes, I think, uh, flies under the radar a little bit. His disposal probably needs to be cleaned up a little, but um, he does a lot of good work. And while it's a little bit patchy, but you notice him. Like when he's uh, involved in the game, you do notice him. But look, uh, Carlton did what they needed to do. Um, I wouldn't call it a massively impressive win. Gold Coast just didn't look like they had the energy to play this game. As we said, there was a short turnaround from Monday. Uh, Suns didn't score in the first quarter. Uh, There was a period there where they didn't really look like scoring. Uh, Their two goals in the first half came from very few forward 50 entries and Carlton were really wasteful in front of goal two with seven goals 18 in the end. Uh, I, what I really liked, uh, Mark Murphy seemed to bring his own footy for the first three quarters. Yeah. Uh, the tall fella, De Koning, he, he looks really good for Carlton. Once he gets a bit of weight on him and gets a few more games into him, he's going to be uh, looking the real goods. And looking at TA Stadium surface, um, even the commentators made mention of the <laughs> carpet-like surface, and that was a really good... Uh, Really good ground. Uh, yeah. All the all the people sitting around in their camping chairs and their tinnies <laughs> and wearing shorts. And it was it was hard to fathom sitting down in Melbourne in three degree weather. Yeah, and it's twenty seven degrees and eighty one percent humidity up there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, just couldn't imagine that uh, sitting down here when it's almost snowing. But yeah, what, um, do, you, what do we think of Carlton now? They're just looking at the updated ladder. Their tenth position. Um, percentages thereabouts. It's actually a hundred percent on the dot. Um, they're two, they're half a game outside the eight. Although Collingwood play North Melbourne tonight, Monday night, so um, the Pies have a chance to make that uh, six-point margin again. But the Blues are, you know, at the moment a half a game off the top eight with what four games to go or something. So, mm. um, do you think they can make it? If everything goes right for them, yes. Uh, they're just going to have a fight on their hands because, as we've mentioned in previous episodes, there is a bit of a bottleneck there. So they're go- I think they're going to have to win majority of their games to have any chance yeah. of jumping into that top eight. Might make mention as well, while they're sitting at 10th, they're six wins, six losses. Their percentage is 100% exactly. So they've kicked mm. 756 points for and 756 against. So uh, for all you OCD people out there, that's a nice little lineup. Yeah, yeah. And they've got Collingwood, the Giants, um, Collingwood, the Giants, Sydney, which you'd think they'd win. Um, then Adelaide, which you'd think they'd win. And then in the last round, they've got Brisbane. So they've got at least two you'd tick off. And then there's then they have to win, yeah, probably at least two or or maybe three. So every week's probably an elimination final. But for Carlton fans that have been waiting as long as they have, I reckon there's a they'd be feeling pretty good about themselves considering um, where things have been over the last two decades, really. So it's exciting times for the Blues, and they haven't quite got their full team on the park either. So 
yeah, they'd be feeling pretty good about themselves, the old blue baggers. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I've got a couple of good mates who are blue blue baggers, and uh, yeah, they're they're quite happy with the result on the weekend. I bet. And another man who was quite happy was PaperNews.com's <laughs> uh, Matty Dunn, whose Bulldogs I tipped the doggies too. So, but they um, got over the demons by twenty eight points in the end, twelve eight eighty to seven ten fifty two. The uh, late in the second quarter, or ju- yeah, going into halftime, I just thought, oh, Melbourne's wrestled back the momentum here, and they're going to kick into gear after the break. But then Melbourne didn't come out in the third quarter; they they stayed in the rooms the whole um, the whole half hour, and the Dogs kicked six goals to just three points and blew the game wide open. And you could just feel the the pain and anger in Gary Lyon's voice as he was commentating the game. It just the the disappointment in his former club for again in a moment when they had a chance to stand up and say this is a new Melbourne they they dished that out and the doggies were just exhilarating to watch in that second half in particular the we talked about last week uh, the D's not really beating anyone of uh, yep. note for lack of a better term and needed a test and probably identify that doggies would have been a, a pretty decent test as to where they're at and you could you could almost say that they've they've failed this test they as you say they were they were right in there up to their eyeballs at half time and in the lead and just uh didn't back that up in the second half and the doggies ran away with it so uh look the dogs piled on the goals in the third term um Mitch Wallace was important with four goals and provides a target when some of the big boys are, are not firing. Uh, the midfield was really backed up, well, well backed up by Bont McRae and Libba. Uh, Johannesson was good off half back. Uh, for the Demons, uh, I think Wiedemann, Viney, and Stephen May can probably hold their heads up high. Uh, Petraka was okay without being particularly damaging, but um, he can be an accumulator at times. But yeah, look, uh, yeah. I think. The D's fans would have been really disappointed with that result, and Doggies time, fans yeah. are still in the race. Oh, very much in the race, and that—that that was the every now and again during a season you get an eight-point game if you want to call it that. And um, the Doggies and Melbourne game was that this week, and um, so the Dogs replaced the D's in the top eight. The Dogs are now seventh; they're a game inside the eight because Melbourne are now ninth, four points behind the Dogs, so that's how important. Melbourne's got a much better percentage, 112 versus 101, but if you don't win enough games, you won't get in. So the Doggies now, the destiny's in their hands. They're they're in a position now where they can decide whether they are good enough to play finals this year. And just having a a quick scan at their draw, they've got the Cats next week, which that's a huge game. It's a massive... Massive game. Then they have a bye. Um, they've got the Eagles. So, you know, there's two massive games for the Dogs. So it's a tough run. I think Melbourne's run's a lot easier. Then the Doggies have then got Hawthorne, which you'd probably think the Dogs would win. Then in the last round, they come up against the Dockers. So if they can steal at least one of those really tough games, then you go, OK, there's a real show that they might be able to get in. And, yeah, they're exciting to watch. So if they get on a run... 2016 stuff in a way, the way they can move the ball. And if they've got Big Norton up there plucking grabs, um, anything's possible. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, 
we've seen Doggies best. Uh, we've probably seen their worst this year as well. So the fans will be hoping that they can pull out more of their best against uh, the remaining games that they're playing. But yeah, look, uh, <laughs> it's going to be a wait and see. Another block of games coming up all in a row. So they didn't deal with that block of games particularly well, I don't think. So we'll see how they deal with it this time around. I know a team that didn't deal well with the blocker games, but we'll get onto them in a little while. <laughs> Melbourne have got the Saints next week, so that's a thriller between you, your boys and them. Then they've got Sydney, which you'd think they'd win. Then Melbourne have got Frio. Then they've got the Giants. And then they finish with my Bombers. So they're a real show the Ds to win most of those games. So the pressure, <coughs> excuse me, a bit of a frog in the throat, but the pressure's really on for the Doggies to win their must-win games because the Demons probably have a, an easier run going into the finals. Yeah, look, we'll, we'll watch that with interest. And look, a uh, true test for Melbourne now is to get themselves back into the form they had leading into the game against the Dogs. Now, the surprise, in a way, was Hawthorne's effort against Port Adelaide. Port, a little mm. bit shaky at the moment, Port Adelaide, and I... Just sense for a minute, maybe the Hawks were going to get them. They got off to such a great start. They kicked, I think, the first four goals and then Port started to peg their way back. But um, from then on, it was a real arm wrestle. Port got in front, looked like they might start to take it away and then Hawthorne hit back again and it was it was on till the end. I mean, Port was inaccurate, 9-14-68 to 9-4-58, but not one that... I, mean, I think it's one that Kenny Hinckley will just be happy to put a tick next to the next to the, the the win column and then move on to the next game. But they're not exactly in fine form. And when Charlie Dixon doesn't take 10 marks and kick five goals, the, there's a few questions there in terms of what they can produce. But the Hawks, geez, to lose Sicily as well as everything else that's mm-hmm. gone wrong for them this year, to come out and almost win a major scalp at Adelaide Oval was a, was a fantastic effort. Yeah, not wrong. Um, Hawks had no right to be as close as they were and shows why you never write them off or one of Clarko's teams at least anyway they came out firing as you said uh, kicked the first four and they, they've done all that without Sicily, O'Meara uh, Frawley, Gunston uh, Segler and Isaac Smith are out of that side as well so that's a <laughs> that's a fair chunk of uh, talent out of your side uh, Sam Frost played reasonably well on Charlie Dixon as well uh, even though he kicked two goals uh, that's being Dixon and I think that frustration carried over with his altercation with Stratton and a nice little forearm to the face bearing his uh, head in the in the ground. Uh, Has he been cited for that or not? I'm not um, sure. I, I haven't heard anything. Th- yeah, at the time of recording it came out. I think it was just a fine off the top of my head. Don't quote me on that. Okay. But um, yeah, Put but all his body weight on that. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't hold back, that's for sure. No. Um Travis Boak was really good, and that was probably um, Tom Rockliffe's best game for Port in a while as well. Yeah, uh, it was his 150th, I think, wasn't it? Or yeah. 200th, 150. Yeah, so the boy from Benalla really turned up for this one. Um, Warple and, Cousin, and Cousins for uh, Hawthorne were really good, provided good midfield assistance for, for Mitchell. And as you said before, it was a, a nice old arm wrestle throughout the game uh, after Port decided to turn up. But yeah, look, uh, they'll just be... One that Port uh, will say, yep, we just did what we needed to do to win that. And beautiful clutch goal from Zach Butters at the end. And didn't he really enjoy that as well? He he went a bit Coco Bananas after kicking that one. Yeah, it was a nice bit of roving masterclass, wasn't it? It was hit the ball at full speed. Mm. Ruckman Lysette just palmed it, just tapped it. It was the most beautiful. If you can 
go online and check out the Zach Butters goal at the end um, and just check out a bit of a roving masterclass for just how to go about it. It was scintillating stuff and the Port fans were pretty pretty happy. Just with the Hawks, two names I'd written down that really standing out, um, Scrimshaw and Day, have both been fantastic mm. um, emergences for the uh, for the Hawks this year in, in a fairly ordinary year otherwise, but uh, guys like that would be giving Hawthorne supporters lots of joy to look into the future. Yeah, they've been uh, highlighted a few weeks now and I think uh, probably the start of the year or just uh, when the season began, there's a, a little bit of uh, talk about whether Scrimshaw was going to be a good pickup for them or not. Uh, but he's he's come out and had a few, or strung a few good games together. So it looks like they've they've won out there. And Will Day's been a good pickup too. Good to see from a from a Gippsland perspective, Giath who or Chankwath Giath who uh, Giath rather. Uh, Butchered that name, sorry mate um, <laughs> uh, Drafted out of Morwell in their Next Generation Academy uh, A few years back And he's been on the list for probably three or four years So he, through injury he's probably been given that opportunity But he he's shown a bit uh, since he's been given a bit of senior opportunity So good luck mm. to him moving forward And being, being uh, Doug Nichols. Sir Doug Nichols round, the Indigenous round. Um, how fitting was it that Essendon and Richmond um, were, I guess, forced to play, but it turned out to be a great thing, but forced to play up in Darwin at, uh, you know, in front of the locals up there. That was... that that The scenes up there were fantastic and you just felt, I wish they could do this every year now. Mm-hmm. I know the AFL's too much. It's all about money, so yep. obviously a hundred thousand at the G's more in, in, enticing. But maybe you play two games, two marquee games, and one is at the MCG, Essendon, Richer, and then you have you might rotate it every year, but have a second game that's in Darwin, and you know has as much weight, carries as much weight to it, whether it's Adelaide or Melbourne or someone or the Gold Coast make it theirs, or just oh, I just think it'd be fantastic to see a game there each year on indigenous round because it mm. yeah you couldn't have scripted it better for for you know the riolis with all their history there playing yep. in front of the morris rioli stand and just um amazing and then to have another local i guess you can call him a local boy he played down here for a while uh irving mosquito mm. played down the gippsland way before the bombers plucked him out of hawthorne's grasp i guess you could say and uh, he made his debut and it wasn't much happening up forward for the Bombers, but uh, he came out and kicked two goals early-ish in the game and the the smile on his face and the crowd roaring, it was just perfect scene to uh, for a young kid to make his make his way in the big time. Yeah, he'll remember that for the rest, rest of his life, won't he? He's got a magical beaming smile, Irving. Yeah. Um, you can see that smile from a mile away. But, yeah, that, you just when he, got that, uh, when he got that set shot on goal... Um, on that slight angle about 40 out and you, I think everyone regardless of who you're going for just was willing him to kick that and he, he slotted it very nicely and the second goal was even better just running through yeah. that contest and <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I noticed uh, on Twitter <laughs> a bloke's gone oh look he he kind of burned his teammate on running through the middle, but um, he had the confidence to kick the goal himself. And look, uh, if we're honest, he didn't do a hell of a lot throughout the game, but he, he laid a few tackles, and he'll he'll learn a bit out of that game. And yeah, he pro- provided um, 
a bit of a bit of excitement for Bombers fans when it's been a bit lacking in the last month or so, or pr- probably a bit longer if we're we're asking fellows like yourself and uh, a few others. But um, yeah, and it, and one of the anomalies out of the the game was up until well, yeah, half time, Essendon were right in the contest, and then. Mm. But you looked at the inside fifties, and it was at one point it was like twenty-seven to two or something. It was an insane figure. It was just yeah. complete field domination, and yet the bombers, Richmond missed a few shots throughout the night. But the, the bombers somehow, I think it was due to their defence and their willingness to keep fighting, keep working. They didn't really hang the head when they could have at certain times, and um, and the defence were outstanding. Otherwise, Richmond might have had a much more convincing win than the 10-13-73 to 10-1-61 victory that they had. But, um, yeah, it was it was one of the great territory uh, <laughs> dominations, wasn't it? And then you're looking at the scoreboard thinking, hang on, what, how is this game still close? Yeah, there was a point there in the first half where they go, where uh, Essendon actually hit the front, and I think it was 13 to 12. <laughs> and you go, the Bombers had absolutely no right to be in front no. given the dominance of uh, the Richmond. Uh, and Tigers were just so wasteful going into forward 50 and continually kicking the contest. And credit to to the Bombers' defence. As you say, they, they held up well for as long as they possibly could, held their fingers in the in the dike wall, uh, yeah. plugging the leaks. But uh, Particularly... Um when Aaron Francis went off pretty early, so you're mm. down a big body on on Tom Lynch, and you're thinking, "Oh heck, this is going to be a pretty ugly night if we haven't got that extra big body down there." But somehow they were able to cover it, which was a sensational effort. Yeah, um, and that, the other thing too is Bombers really had to fight hard for their goals as well. So yeah. um, as soon as they fought and fought and finally got it down and managed to snag one, Richmond just automatically answered with another one and just felt like they kept uh, the Dons at, at arm's reach. And look, uh, I was really impressed with Shy Bolton. I felt he was probably the best for the Tigers, which I think he, he ended up getting the Indigenous Award at the end. Yeah. I forget what the name of the award was, but uh, um, I think Dusty finished with the most touches. But every time Bolton went near it, he looked like he was going to do something dangerous. <laughs> I, I can imagine you sitting there as a Bombers fan going, oh, this bloke's got it again. We're we're Not toast. Again, we're yeah. cooked. Yeah. yeah. Um, Tommy Bell Chambers didn't have the greatest night. A couple of dubious fifty meter penalties. Uh, oh, the one near the end it escapes me exactly what happened. But the one at the end was just. I remember. I wrote down at the time. I just wrote that was an embarrassing decision. That that was paid fifty meters. Um, the questions of diving, things like that. There was a few few issues to come out of that game. We just. Mm. Gee whiz, the, yeah, it's it's hit and miss what, what happens from game to game, whether it's free kicks or uh, reports or diving or whatever it is. Some, yeah, there's always some contentious stuff going on <laughs> this yeah. year, isn't there? And Richmond had seemed to be at the forefront of some of it. And unfortunately, my Bombers were on the uh, the other end of it a couple mm. of times. Not that it made a difference to the result, but oh, towards the end, Essendon were, the, were close. So a couple of those decisions, maybe, maybe give them a chance, but really we didn't deserve to win either way, but yeah, it was that sort of those those decisions can have a little bit of an impact on you, can't they? In terms of a little bit of scoreboard motivation or pressure. Yeah, uh, I felt the the last one that the Bell Chambers gave away. So there was one where he uh, it was kicked out of bounce on the full, and he just decided to belt it into the stands. Uh, yep, I think that was the first one, and. <laughs> 
I think under normal circumstances, yeah, you could probably say you didn't need to do that, so penalise him. But there's footies all around the boundary. So he could have just... <laughs> player could have just picked one up off the boundary. I don't think it had that too much impact of the game. I think the one you're talking about that really deflated there, any chance of a comeback was the one where he's, uh, I forget the player he clipped. He's just uh, clipped the, the Richmond player in a marking contest. Just a, On his a, shoulder, I think. It yeah. Made it, and the player was lost him, wasn't it? He played, made it look like it was his head that had been knocked off. And then they showed the replay from the other angle and he just brushed his shoulder. Yeah, so uh, that will go down as <laughs> one of the more dubious ones. But uh, look, on a positive note, I, I think Draper's been really good uh, since he's been in the team yeah. for, for Essendon. He, he's definitely got more to give. I feel that uh, I don't know if you've got any merit to this uh, opinion, but Kyle Langford provided a really good option down the line at times and clunked a couple of marks. But I don't think... Bombers trust kicking to him all the time. I know in the past he's been a little bit uh, spoken about in that he doesn't always uh, do the right thing or makes mistakes, but he really, I felt he showed up a couple of times at important times and was really important, but they, he just wasn't uh, given the ball a lot. And it was he was just a bit patchy last night, but when he did get the ball, he did actually do some good things. So Yeah, I really like him when he's presenting up and he just sometimes you think he just lacks a bit of energy and he just drifts off to the side a bit and he's sort of not quite in the play and then mm. then other times I mean up there in Darwin it's pretty slippery stuff as we saw the the Giants and uh, the Suns and the Blues game the, the mm. skills were pretty pretty crappy really because it is that much more sweaty uh, yep. you know they, the, the guys are going into fridges when they go onto the bench because they were that <laughs> You know, it was that sort of temperature. So, some of you're right. He's one grab marks, and they were contested marks. And mm. it was just he's and he's he's got a pretty good straight long kick when he's on target as well. Like he's a really I like him, and I'd, I'd keep him in the team constantly. But there, you're right, he comes in and out of games, and that's but geez, he gave us a better better target than what um, uh, who's number seventeen? I've completely gone blank, but. Um, James Stewart, yep. um, you know, that didn't see much of Stringer, really. Um, well, I, honestly, I forgot Stringer was playing until he bobbed up in that last quarter. And yeah, it's a bit like that. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I know. So, so there's a few. So Langford was, yeah, I'm surprised they probably, maybe they, I get the sense that sometimes he's just not in the right spot, you know, mm. like he's just back a bit. Like he just doesn't quite will himself to that contest. But then when he is... In the play, he doesn't stuff it up like he 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 will hit a target with a handball or he'll. He, I reckon he's quite a smart thinker of the game, but mm. I just I don't think he gets himself to enough contests to really rip rip a head off a game, so to speak. You know, whereas some of the other guys um, are at those contests, but they do nothing when they're there. Someone like you know Stewart or um, Townsend when he's when he's playing and. When Stringer's on, he's fantastic, but he's not on enough. Although he was good until he got injured a few weeks back. Um, Bell Chambers, yeah, he's... Yeah, Draper's gone past him, I think. Um, and Draper dropped a few marks that he probably shouldn't have, but overall, he just he brings an energy to the game that, as you guys find with your Ruckman at St Kilda, and, you know, it's just... There's, it's a, there's something about the team lifts when he has a crack at the ball, you know. So yep. some good signs in it. I didn't come away gutted by the performance, but I just, 
made me realise that we're still a fair bit off those top few teams. Yeah, well, Richmond really showed uh, that they have what it takes to have a crack at the end of, at the pointy end of the season again. Um, before we move on, I, I did want to make mention of Liam Baker. He mopped up really nicely across halfback and probably frustrated the hell out of you watching that game. Uh, yeah, yeah that Richmond are looking good, and uh, despite the the. Uh, couple of players, uh, Vlosten and uh, Grimes, who have been cited for staging. Uh, there's fines only unless they decide to contest. Um, yeah, uh, I think they'll be pretty happy with that win. Tried looking. I, my, Reece, my new book on Peter Crimmins, I, there's, a, there's an article I found going back. I just can't find what year I wrote it. What what uh, part of the book I wrote it in? But uh, it was it was basically in the late nineteen sixties, and Bill Toomey, former Collingwood champion, was was saying was praising Crimo, and you could and what he was writing was that um, too many players over the last few years have flopped and staged for free kicks, and this is in the sixties, and um, it's embarrassing, and kids are losing interest in their heroes but this is one player you should be keeping an eye on because he doesn't ever drop his he doesn't ever drop his knees or duck his head or you know he just he cops his whack and he he plays on and he doesn't he doesn't dive and it, as soon as I saw that on the weekend I thought oh that's exactly what I was what he was getting at in Crimo and we're talking 50 or 60 years ago so uh, we're still having those issues <laughs> except now they actually look like they might fine you or suspend you for doing it um, because it does obviously it can swing a game. I mean, players have been doing it forever. Darren mm. Buick used to be a bit of a star at it. I think for the Bombers, he was pretty good at that. Some players just draw the free kicks. So, um, I mean, Joel Sell was one of the toughest players in the game, but he has a real knack for being able to just drop the drop the knees, doesn't yeah. he? And um, he's very smart at doing it, but he still takes the hit on the head to do it. So there's a fair bit of courage involved there. <laughs> but, but some of them, like what we saw with... Um, Who'd you say Grimes on the weekend and, and a few yeah. and even Vlosten throwing yeah. the head back. I mean, every team's doing it. Players from different teams are doing it. It's not just a couple of players, but it just yeah, it's not a great look, particularly when we have seven thousand replays now. So you mm. you could probably do it back in Crimo's day and you wouldn't get uh, noticed too much to be no replays, whereas now you're uh, we're still talking about it a few days later and he's up at a tribunal, <laughs> isn't he? <laughs> to uh, or or at least uh I didn't see the report. You, you saw it. What was the, what was it with Grimes again? He, uh, was a gr- automatic Grimes fine, was a f- yeah. Grimes and Vlustum were just uh, fines with an early plea, so that that'll be uh, a very very small dent in their pocket. Uh, yeah, the one that went straight to the tribunal was the striking charge against Tom Lynch. So ah, that's um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So whether um, that anything of that comes, we'll we'll just wait and see. So I know there's a fair few Richmond supporters that say there's nothing in that, whereas uh, there's a few other supporters that are on the other side of that opinion. So that'll be very interesting to see what comes of that. Yeah, I think it's going to going to get to a point where the AFL just says we have to give him a week here, whoever it is, just to. Just to say that enough's enough, because you know Tom was centre of attention last week for the same thing, really, and he's turned around and whacked. He he would have known that every camera on the ground was going to be on him. He's turned around and given Mick and Hurley, Mick Hurley one in the throat, even if he was meant to hit him in the chest. You didn't hit him in the chest, mate. You got him in the throat. So um, there'll come a point in the AFL just say. It's almost the the dickhead rule, to be honest. Where uh, yeah. if you're going to keep doing it, well, all right, then we'll just we'll show you that uh, this is how we'll stop you. You'll miss a game, and you know that's the worst punishment. So, um, 
yeah, that'll be interesting how that plays out. What what did you make being Indigenous round? What did you make of some of the jumpers? I'm thinking of all the colour that was up at uh, Darwin on on Saturday night, but also like some of the jumpers. The design's sensational. The, mm. the Gold Coast one's almost better than their actual jumper. I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> Eagles always produce a great jumper. Uh, yep. The Hawks was sensational. Tigers was sensational. The Doggies one could be... I've got, I've got a theory that why, why are we only using these jumpers for one, one-off game each year? Why aren't these their, their clash jumper or the, well, one of their away jumpers that they can use throughout the year, maybe three, four or five times, just to get some... Um, get some uh, usage out of them for starters mm. but uh, they just look so fantastic that wouldn't they look great to be seen more often throughout the year absolutely uh, i'm with you 100 percent on that and I, th- I think that uh just having the indigenous round is great um but if it, we really want to be inclusive of the indigenous culture and the people we i really feel we need to include it even more and and having that as like you say, as a, an away jumper, will will help towards that sort of goal. So um, there's there's been a few stories come out, both good and bad, in this Indigenous round. So and we'll probably touch on uh, probably a bad one in the later yeah. part of the episode. But yeah, look, I, I'm all aboard with that. Uh, let's get the Indigenous jumpers more frequently throughout the season. And and the other thing I was going to. Ask you a question without notice. Who are a couple of your favourite Aboriginal players through over the years, mate? Because um, they certainly don't all have to be from your club. I mean, we can think of. I could reel off of quite a few, but I thought I'd ask you as well. But for me, Michael Long, as an Essendon fan, just mm. his '93 final series just changed my life as a young man. I was straight out to the backyard after Essendon won that game, and I was. I'm a right footer, but I was just doing everything left foot and just trying to be <laughs> Michael Long in the backyard. And I was just in awe. But Gavin Wanganeen was my favourite player during that period before he went to Port Adelaide and got to interview Gavin last year. And um, they say sometimes you shouldn't meet your heroes, but he was uh, he was as good as they come as a bloke and yep. just an amazing player. But then you have Andrew McLeod, one of the best I've seen, Adam Goods. Um, and the list goes on. Sil Rioli could do a million things. I've, I've, I've researched a bit on the Morris Rioli, unbelievable. Um, the list goes on. But do you have any that's sort of special to your heart? Uh, look, if you're talking, look, there's been so many champion Indigenous players uh, roaming around, and a lot of them all class, and uh, they'll, they'll go down in the history books as some of the greatest players ever. But if you're talking about favourites, um, Pure bias coming from me, but can't go past Nicky Wimar for mine, and he's been one of the greatest uh, Indigenous players of uh, the semi-modern era. Um, yes. So, yeah, uh, for me, that would probably be the one that sticks out the most, and as I say, there's been plenty of them, but, yeah. Um, I, I never got to sit and watch the Cracker, Cracker Brothers in their prime, mm. but uh, just the highlights you see of those two is unbelievable, and Polly Farmer, just... The re, you know, just when working on other books, you know, you, the, you hear stories about how good Polly was going in certain games, and you just think, wow, I wish I could have seen these guys in their prime. And I, when I wrote my Dick Reynolds book, I wrote about Norm Macdonald, who was Essendon's first um, champion Indigenous player, and he was he was apparently something to behold as well. He'd, he'd play about 20 metres off his man. He was a half-back flanker, but he was that quick that he'd... Um, 
he'd make up the ground for the spoil and everyone would be looking at him thinking, get over near your man, but mm. uh, he, <laughs> he just played his own game, but he always <laughs> made up ground. But, uh, yeah, I just love... I wish there was a team out of Darwin that was just all um, Aboriginal players, you know, it'd be, it'd be Harlem Globetrotters stuff because they're just um, on another level to, <laughs> to us mere mortals. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's great that they've... And Eddie Betts, obviously, is a brilliant... Mm been giving us entertainment for quite a few years as well so it's it's a it's a fun round really and it's good they celebrate it but then you're right we get at the back of it and uh, there's a brilliant article that came out today on abc.net.au i think is the website mm. where you, you must go and check this out um it's on robert muir the former st kilda uh hard man or malo- much maligned yeah. Man, we, we sort of only see the vision of him doing things that got him suspended. And, you know, that's 10 seconds of footage. And um, that's – so you had the nickname Mad Dog and it's stuck really and over the years. So you just have this one perspective of what he was like. But Russell Jackson's gone and produced this brilliant insightful article on on the troubles that uh, Muir has had over the years through – uh, racism, but also just through not being accepted anywhere, and yep. and even today, and the Saints, and the, he just he feels like he's been excluded from everywhere because of that mythology around what he di- did or didn't do on the footy field. So it's a must-read article. What did you? You're a Saints man. What did you make of it? Um, I read tonight that St Kilda have reached out after reading it, and they've apologised and said we're mm. going to embrace him and get him involved. And I'm, there's a GoFundMe page that has just been put up to try and pay for his shoulder operations that he's, yep. you know, he's in agony for the last oh, couple of decades yep. um, over shoulder injuries through footy. So some good's going to come out of it, but it's sad that it had to be such a um, such a tough story and such a tough life he's had to live to get to this point. But it was a, it was a brilliant article, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, um, you hit the nail on the head. It's a shame that it's uh, had to be that story to to bring all of this to light. And I, I dare say he's not the only one in in this situation. Where we're all about the good news stories, and it's a bit confronting to hear the hard luck stories. And obviously, Robbie's uh, gone through some trials and tribulations. And granted, I. He was a bit before my time as well, so I've only seen the highlights of him mm. going a bit nuts on the field and getting in the face of umpires and players and even sometimes his own teammates. So uh, it's hard not to have that opinion of him when that's all you see of him. So mm. it's a, I've, as many of people have said already, it's, it's been a very important piece of journalism and a, a great article it's, it's very long it's i wouldn't be yeah. surprised if it's close to your 500 pager <laughs> on crimo <laughs> um i spent majority of my lunch break reading that and yeah. i still didn't get through it so it's very detailed and um very insightful so uh fantastic though that st kilda came out and said and put their hand up and gone look we haven't done right by you we'll reach out and and do the right thing and the afl's done the same thing as well so and they'll look into other cases i think as well and and try to do the right thing there yeah it just sucks that it takes the public calling out for these things to happen i mean how has there not been a a million markers over the years where there was an opportunity to invite him and he, he spoke about turning up to a couple of past player functions at um, West Torrens where he played and a couple of other 
times and, and they actually wouldn't let him in or they mm. just ignored it. That's that's staggering. Yeah. You know, if you play, yeah, that's, that's staggering. So um, well done for Russell. I spoke to Russell today and just asked him about the article and he, he'd been researching some other stuff and he, he started seeing some just some stories in these newspapers about Robbie Muir and yep. um and yeah, it sparked his interest a bit and but nothing too in depth and then he's um he's he's decided to ring him for this article a few weeks ago and that's you know, the first time he'd spoken with him and he that's when um yeah, he just obviously hit a chord with, with Robert who who was obviously um ready to tell the story because mm. uh yes yeah, so it was just a bit of good timing and yep. a bit of intuition for and he's a great writer russell as, as we know so um yeah it's funny how some stories come about i, I thought he maybe had been tipped off to it or if or he knew Ru- or robbie from other things and he said no no i just rung him because uh, i was interested in doing a story on him for indigenous round and all that and uh, yeah it's amazing what what he was able to find out and and piece together. So um, make sure you get on and check that out. Yes. Uh, A couple more games. The other good thing about this round, I reckon, and and just this whole um, coronavirus year, is that um, I reckon it's shown us that we should be getting more games into regional places. You know, I reckon... The, you know, it was like watching a game at Lengatha, watching the game at Darwin the other night. Like the, <laughs> the the deck chairs were out, as you say, and uh, there was just a great vibe around the place, and people could stand and lean on the fence, or they could go and kick the footy out the back. You know, the, one of the players kicked a goal, and it went up high into one of the trees at the back. You know, I mean, how cool is that? That's what you grow up playing in. So yeah. I, I know money's the the driver of everything these days, but if there's a way around that, and we can get more of these regional games more often one a week or or whatever geez so much goodwill for the community as well yeah you're not wrong uh i think there was an instance there where one of the goals uh probably went over the fence and i don't think the afl would have seen that footy ever again that <laughs> might have uh, disappeared down the street just quietly but uh yeah you said it's, sorry, it's at a sad to... point. Um, sorry, the, it's a sad point in the AFL where it's now completely money driven, and we probably won't see any regional games through a regular season. And I think that's the good part of the new preseason practice matches. Uh, yeah. It's not really a competition now, so the good part of that is they are taking it to the regional centres, and they're at least getting some sort of opportunity to see AFL heroes when. They might not necessarily get that chance in a normal circumstance when you've got people living four, five, six hours away from their nearest major city and wouldn't normally be able to get to those games. So good on them for doing that. And No, it's good to, it was definitely good to see footy up in Darwin. And I, I watched a fair bit of the NTFL over the last season where it gets played from October to Feb and there's a few Gippsland boys that go and play up there normally over the normal off-season, as you would call it. And... Yeah, the, the conditions uh, from the Monday game where it was just like a cake of soap, uh, that's pretty relevant to a lot of games that get played up there at the night as well. It's just dewy conditions, it's hot, it's humid, and it's very hard to hold on to that ball. We won't go into the next game too much. The Dockers, 7-8-50, defeated the Swans, 2-7-19. Uh, yeah, I didn't see the game, but uh, just looking at the score... Well, we, you know, I mean, that's mm. um, 
I don't know if it was torrential rain or not. I wasn't there, but I don't know if you saw it or not. I was busy watching the the bombers get beaten, but uh, yeah, yeah. The Swans Swans have been pretty competitive of late, but mm. that obviously wasn't a great one. Have you got anything on that game at all? Yeah, I had that going in tandem with the Dons and Tigers. So uh, being a male, it's hard to multitask and yes. <laughs> keep an eye on both of those. But um, look at this game wasn't one that many will be demanding from name a game. Um, <laughs> Swans, Swans really struggled. Uh, two goals for the game. The second goal came in that last quarter, or I think yeah. it might have been the third quarter, actually. I, I forget which one it was, but... Uh, no, it was the last quarter. They only had one up until three-quarter time. That's their lowest score since round 12 in 1971. So, wow. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure Bob Skelton was still involved at, at uh, South Melbourne when, and when they that had happened. Some, and they had some shocking um, years in the early 90s, the, the Swans too, when they were still trying mm. to find their feet. Uh, they had some terrible losses. So, wow, that's a... A big, uh, big stat by you. Good work. Um, yeah, well, I'd like to claim it as my own. I did steal that off Twitter. So, <laughs> um, again, don't need to go into t- this one too much. The cats got the job done. The crows were quite competitive and remained within touch for most of the game until late in the match. But um, nine eleven sixty five, the cats went into Adelaide and got it done over the crows five seven thirty seven. So twenty eight points. The cats. Again, not one that they'll probably chalk down as their greatest win of the season, but they will be quite happy to bank the four points and mm. they now sit, they've got the best percentage in the competition, 140.6, which is 14 ahead of the top place port um, and they're a game off top spot. So they are sitting pretty, if you want to put it that way, for securing not only a top four spot, but maybe a top two spot. They're, they're up and about. Yeah, at the right time of the year as well. Full credit to Adelaide. They really pushed along for the first three hmm. quarters and I think yep. they just ran out of puff in the last. And Matthew Nix tried a few different things from all accounts and they played a, a fierce and rapid style of game and they caught the Cats out a couple of times and Cats just had to control the tempo a bit and have it on their own terms for a, for a while and until they regained ascendancy. But Cole Hardigan had a pretty good game on Tom Hart. On Tom Hawkins, rather, um, oh, yeah. kept into three goals, two of which were late in the game. And Rory Laird has really uh, relished his new midfield role at the Crows. They've been lacking a bit in that midfield. And uh, since he's come back in the side, I think he was out injured for a bit. He's uh, really done well. He's racked up a few possessions, actually. And for Geelong, that's probably Jack Stevens' best game in, in hoops. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, Cam Guthrie, he, he's been really good and continues his rich vein of form. Yeah, he may be, may be leading their best and fairest, Cam Guthrie's having a great year. Um, tell us about the Saints, they <laughs> almost... Now, Brisbane, we said last week that at some point they're going to kick themselves out of a game, out of a final, I reckon, might happen. Um, they kicked 6-14-50 to just beat your Saints 7-6-48. Lions led for most of the night, but uh, at the end it was a bit of a heart-stopper and the Saints had a chance to go in front. Uh, Timmy Membry missed a snap, which would have put them, I think, ahead uh, by about three points, and then Brizzy were able to hold on from there. But what, what as a Saints fan, did you take away from the game? Um, I reckon it shows that you're thereabouts and you're not far off. Jackie Steele was a star again, 10 tackles, mm. and just led the way. Um, yeah, what do, you, what do you take out of the game as a Saints fan? And the Lions will be just happy again to tick that one off. 
yeah, look, as a Saints supporter, probably disappointing. We didn't come away with it. But if you look at it pretty honestly, we probably didn't deserve to win that. Um, Lions dominated majority of the first and third quarters in that game. Um, And it probably shows in the fact that they had 20 scoring shots to 13. So their own bad kicking essentially kept St Kilda in the game. Look, St Kilda definitely had periods of the game where they were they were good and challenged Brisbane and obviously getting within two points towards the end and having a chance to actually snatch the win um, shows that, as you say, St Kilda are, are thereabouts but probably not quite there and probably a true reflection of where they sit amongst the pack. Um, good win for Brisbane as well, so that's one they needed to win to stay in touch with the top four and, and that's definitely something that they'll do and... Uh, good to see. Uh, they, uh, Saints actually sent Seb Ross to Lockie Neal, who kept him down to about 19 touches. So Lockie yeah, Neal's okay. been racking up about 30-odd, yeah, yeah. 30-plus 30 30 for the most part. And yeah. The thing is, uh, Brisbane's uh, other mids decided to stand up and help out. So Jared Berry's uh, had a good game. Zach Bailey, Hugh McCluggage all stood up, although... Don't send Hugh McCluggage down to the forward line because he can't kick straight to to help himself. Right? I think yeah. his uh, goal tally figures are five goals, 15 for the year. So, yeah, okay. yeah uh, poor old Hugh just uh, can't kick straight in front of the big sticks. Uh, good games, as you say, from Jack Steele. Um, Zach Jones did well as well. Billings was probably a bit late to the party but did well in the second half. And Harris Andrews, uh, I was afraid, would give uh, Max King a a bit of a lesson in defensive craft and he just gave him a bath that game. So um, could possibly be a bit of the difference when you're relying on... um, King and and Marshall and or Marshall slash Ryder and and Membry to kick your goals uh, down forward uh, and normally you'd rel- you'd you'd generally say that Membry would kick most of his set shots or shots on goal but yeah he's he's been playing a little bit of a different role this year he's been a bit more upfield uh, Tim Membry uh, just providing that option down the line uh, when the, when they need a bailout so because he's just a brilliant overhead mark for a guy his size and. He's a standing leap, so when he's plunked on two foot, two feet on the ground without a jump, he's got a tremendous vertical leap. So, um, no, look, it just wasn't St Kilda's day, and they will uh, learn from that and hopefully come up with a win next week. Yes, Essendon's been learning from it for uh, <laughs> about 12 weeks, so um, good luck with that. But the Saints are sitting <laughs> six. They're only a game off. Well, that win would have put them equal um, equal third, so mm. that's how important that game was, but there's still a couple of games inside the eight, so you'd think they're still sitting pretty, but a huge game next week against Melbourne for the Saders mm. and Brisbane. Just stay in the chance for that top two, which they'll be desperate to um, to hold on to, but um, yeah, they, they can play more convincingly than that. West Coast, for me, the last game of, so far in the round, there's one to come tonight, but the Eagles just dominant early. Just it was the Harlem Globetrotters in the opening quarter and four goals to none and the Giants one goal to half time. Um, really worked their way back into the game later, but you can't give up a, a start like they did. So the Eagles nine seven sixty one to the Giants seven seven forty nine. The Eagles just have too much happening all over the field and Nick Natanui is just in it must be career best form. He was yeah. he was unbelievable in that first quarter alone. Um, 
And McGovern up the other end, yeah, just oh, in, impassable down back. And oh, they kept they had, kicking it to him. Yeah, teams just don't learn, do they? And, no. Um, they were, given Essendon aren't going to make the finals, I, I hope the Eagles win because I just love watching them play. So, um, and yeah, I, I, I come away with that thinking the Giants are almost done for 2020. I uh, just can't see how they're going to pick themselves up. There's so many blo- uh, yeah blokes out of form, and mm. um, yeah, I just I don't think the Giants. Something's oh, they've got a lot of injuries, but something's gone wrong this year with the Giants. Yeah. And, but the Eagles, I know they've got to travel again soon, so that that will be the real test. But yes, they look to have put themselves in a really strong position. They're sitting fourth, just percentage behind the Cats, and a game off top spot, and they're. Oh, they're um, as good as any team in the comp at the moment. Not wrong. Um, yeah, the, as I say, first half just blitz the Giants, and Giants really didn't didn't really turn up until the last quarter, did they? So, no. Um, yeah, the Giant, uh, well, probably the third term, Giants came back a bit. There, there was a little bit of block goal kicking, like Eagles would kick four, and then Giants would kick three, and. And the Eagles are kicking another horse, so uh, it was interesting to to watch that aspect of it. Jack Darling was pretty important up forward, particularly early. Um, Josh Kelly tried hard all game and tried to get his team back into it, and Whitfield uh, racked up a few disposals. But yeah, not not great viewing for GWS, probably apart from that last quarter. And you sort of sat there, oh, yeah. are they a sneaky chance? And they yeah. just uh, they just kept bombing it down to Jeremy McGovern and you think what are you doing he's just reading it every single time and commentators yeah. were uh, getting a little bit too excited about he, how he could read the play and well if you keep kicking it to him he's going to take the mark so <laughs> um, it, it became a, a little bit of child's play for Jeremy McGovern um, the the other thing too you did touch on it Eagles play their next four games all in Queensland so they don't play another home game probably until finals time I would have thought um, and they were terrible up there at the start of the year so that's uh, the real yeah. tester isn't it yeah, it is indeed uh, and Callum the- Ward's finger I don't know if you saw that but he's got no. a compound fracture in his finger mm. um, yeah he I think it was uh, I don't know which hand it was on but I think it was one of the middle fingers and it uh, had a bit of a bit of a right angle on it so uh, anyone that's queasy don't go and review that footage yeah, that's me. He, um, yeah, I he can't he can't get a good run of it now, can he? <laughs> Unfortunately, for such a one of the most popular blokes in the competition. But um, how, how good's this next week, Thursday night, in what is a double header, uh, Richmond and the Eagles at Metricon Stadium? That is um, almost grand final stuff. That 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 mm. that is going to be. Sensational to watch, and it's at a neutral venue, which you know makes it even more toss of the coin stuff. So that will show us how good Richmond are or aren't, yep. and and likewise with the Eagles. I, at this stage, I'd be tipping the Eagles, but uh, boy, I can't wait. I know Hawks and Bombers play before that, but that's almost just like having a little bit of garlic bread and then settling in for <laughs> Mum's roast at um, uh, at seven o'clock. So that's going to be the difference. So looking forward to that on the Thursday night, and just tonight. Collingwood and North Melbourne, you would think the Pies would get it done, although they've had a very interesting, underwhelming year, the Pies, and talk about injuries, they've had some shockers, but and North have been pretty competitive of late, so at the Gabba, I, I probably, I'd still tip Collingwood, but just. Yeah, well, North have shown a little bit at times, so yeah. they're definitely not out of it, but 
Collingwood need to win it to stay in touch with the top eight, so you would suggest they would do enough to win. I heard they're only in the eight by two points at the moment, so it's, mm. it's a huge, huge game for them. Um, and North Melbourne, in any other year, they might be last, but the Crows are winless, which is staggering now. They've got five games, five rounds left to... Uh, not be the first team since 1964 to finish without a win. Um, yeah, it's hard to see. Anyway, plenty to look forward to next week. Um, as we said, Hawthorne Bombers and Richmond Eagles kick off Thursday night. Then Friday night's the Dogs and the Cats, which is another thriller. Port Adelaide, Sydney, you'd think the power would get it done on the Saturday. Frio and the Giants, almost tipping the... Um, Oh, definitely tipping Frio, actually. Mm. Uh, Melbourne, St Kilda, I probably tip the Saints just. Collingwood take on Carlton in what is actually a ripper game now. And the Suns and North, which could be another good game. So some interesting ones there, Mr Carter. Indeed there is. uh, Yeah, look, (laughs) um, probably no one really knows this outside of Melbourne and St Kilda, but there is a little bit of a a rivalry there that they've had up-and-coming teams sort of at the same time and mm. there's been a little bit of banter suggesting one team is better than the other and neither team's really come out on top of <laughs> any of that. So, uh, I, yeah, definitely from St Kilda's side, there's a little bit of uh, dislike towards Melbourne and I'm sure there is uh, from Melbourne's side as well. So that should be very interesting. A very good mate of mine who's also a St Kilda supporter does have a little bit of disdain for, for the Ds and uh, he'll be very upset if we can't get over the line there. So hopefully we do that and look for D supporters. Um, hopefully for you, you do. But from my perspective, I hope you don't. I went to one of the first finals I ever went to watch was Melbourne Saints. Uh, about 1998-ish, I reckon. Took the bus down from Newmerka and with a, with a Melbourne supporting mate, and we, it was a huge day out to be allowed to go down as a 16, 17-year-old and uh, go and watch the Dees and the Saints at the MCG in a big final. Those those uh, different times to today, but uh, you're right, a couple of young teams coming up, they might be able to build a bit of a rivalry over the next few years. Uh, for us outside the club who probably haven't seen that rivalry as such, but that's yep. interesting to hear that. Um, what about local stuff, mate? Have you got anything? Well, you always seem to have 400 things, but what have you, <laughs> what, what have your little uh, rats uh, chased up this week in all their little nooks and crannies around the, the state of Victoria? Because you seem to have quite a few that you just send out and they come back with some pretty handy information. I'd like to uh, apologise on behalf of uh, myself for Mr. Dr. Dan Eddy just uh, describing you all as rats, anyone that feeds me information. (laughs) (laughs) I I meant that in the most affectionate way. You send them out and they go into the smallest of little holes and they come out with this little nugget of info that the normal person just can't dig up. So you've got some good sources. So what have you got for us? Uh, so we got more player re-signings. Uh, Turretin, Delmore, Dalston, Thorpedale, Nyora, Coralin, Trelgan and Trelgan Ties United have all announced player re-signings. Uh, Bunyip have announced a fairly big player signing uh, from another club. So anyone outside the Gippsland area probably wouldn't be well aware of this. But Jackson Dalton, who's been playing at Coralin for the last few years, has signed up with Bunyip. Uh, so that's a fairly big get for Bunyip. Uh, the other big one was Moe, uh, 
Declan Keelty, who used to be Melbourne listed and played a couple of AFL games uh, before he got delisted. He's going back to Moe as a player and a senior assistant and development coach role as well. So that's actually his, yeah, that's his home club. So Declan goes back home and uh, hopefully we have a season next year where we can see Declan play. So he was a definitely a good player and I think he got picked up in the rookie list uh, probably three years ago for Melbourne and ended up getting on the on the uh, main list and played a couple of games. But yeah, got delisted recently. Uh, coach re-signings, Newborough re-announced that Peter Ainsworth uh, also from a Maui background, is going to coach Newborough in 2021. Uh, a couple of coaches wanted, so Lyndon O'South are looking for coaches in all grades, so that's footy and netball. Uh, Katani announced that they're open to candidates for a coach for next year, um, but they're quite happy with the current coach that they have, so I think it would have to be an outstanding candidate in order to uh, get over the line there. Uh, and a couple of clubs do that. Um, yeah. They yeah, so I have seen. I, I've found it. The- yeah, I think it's a bit of a backhanded slap to the current coach. But uh, <laughs> uh, the yeah, I've seen a, a few a few clubs go. Oh, we'll advertise for coach, and um, if we don't get any outstanding candidates, then we'll stick with what we've got. So and you'll uh, do. You'll just, hang, <laughs> you'll just hang around. We'll just we'll scare the country, and if no one else comes up, you'll do. Yeah, look, um, and if anyone from Katani's <laughs> listening, that's uh, not to. I'm not implying that your current coach is uh, in any way, not shape, or form a, a bad one, but yeah, that's the way it uh, got conveyed out. Uh, Old timey photos, so I've been right stuck right into these again. So there was a photo. Now these were all shared on the Gippsland Footy Facebook page. Uh, it was a photo from 1965. It was the Latrobe Valley Football League representative side who played the Mornington representative side. So that's there. Uh, there's a couple of interesting ones there as well. So Sale Methodist Football Club from 1928. There was a, a team photo there. Uh, Sale Greengrocers Football Club. So uh, don't know if there was a bunch of greengrocers just got together and played a game of footy or not. Uh, that was year unsure. Uh, the person that posted it thought it might have been in the 1970s. It looks a bit older than that though. Uh, there was one from the 1964 Devon Football Club side. Uh, near him, near him south uh, shared a team photo from the 1960s. Uh, Neil Malilico Premier sides from 1949 and 51. Uh, the Warrigal Industrials Premier side from 1948. Uh, the Ellenbank District Football League representative side from the 1950s. And the Holorostres Lecky under 18s Premier side from 1962. So it's been a while since Holorostres Lecky has had any mm. former side uh, roaming around. Obviously, Holora have their own junior side, but Holorostres Lecky haven't been going for quite some time. There's some good Facebook shares throughout the week. So Churchill shared a, a nice photo reel, uh, just going through some of the photos from last year. Uh, Druin Footy Club shared a, a photo, uh, what would have been uh, from the weekend. So obviously the weekend was pretty cold and a, and a bit yuck. And uh, last year they've pulled up a photo from when the ground was a bit of a mud heap and the players were covered in mud. So that was a nice little throwback. Uh, South City uh, shared a couple of minutes or not a couple of minutes i think it's about 30 second video of their 2017 flag and they're itching to get back on the ground again uh glenn gary shared a photo from two years ago where 
Dave Dawson played with his three sons, so that was a nice little throwback and uh, acknowledgement for Dave. Uh, our mate Laurie Williams, friend of the podcast, who's uh, been getting a bit of attention with his Gippsland Football Facts and Figures book, uh, he's let me know today that that got sold out, but there's going to be new copies available very soon so lorryfooty at hotmail.com there's also been inquiries for his gone but not forgotten book so that was the one that uh went through all the defunct gippsland football clubs uh, he's getting a reprint of that which is coming out september 10th uh 20 bucks plus postage so the email i just uh, read out before uh that's where you get him uh if you missed it lorryfooty at hotmail.com now, I do have more, Dan. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to keep going. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Yulon, uh, Yulon North. Uh, so they put a Facebook post out saying Thursday night the committee overwhelmingly voted to allow members and players to determine their own future for 2021 and beyond. Uh, a decision will come in the next four weeks. So that's paraphrasing a little bit. It was a pretty big post and uh, <clears throat> I would have missed a few bits. But, yeah, they're, they're the ones that have been having chats with North, Gipps- North Gippsland Football League and currently in the Mid-Gippsland Football League, so watch this space there. Uh, Mitch Stanlake, so we're going back to Moe again. We've got a bit of Moe in this episode. Uh, Mitch Stanlake, who's a, a, a really good player from Moe, he's been training for a marathon in, in the aim of raising funds for Beyond Blue. So I've shared that video, which was covered by Win News Gippsland on the Gippsland Footy Facebook page. You can follow links there to donate there. Uh, there is actually a couple of bad news stories, so uh, unfortunately we're, we're getting a few of those. Uh, Ryan Fraser, who's a former Kui Rup player and he's a current game development officer at AFL Gippsland, he's currently fighting his second bout of brain cancer. So GoFundMe page has been set up for him to help support him and his family in his fight for brain cancer. So uh, if you're able to, uh, that's shared on the Gippsland footy page as well. AFL Gippsland, they're expected to decide on salary cap and total player payment allocations this month, so we'll keep an eye out for that. That was all part of their recommendations process to change. Uh, 14-year-old Cooper Quaife, who plays uh, in the Warrigal District Junior Football League uh, for Puwang Lock Bulls, uh, is another one who's not doing well, so he was diagnosed with cancer in the lung. He had an operation to remove it but had issues and needed some lung removed to help stop the bleeding. So uh, they currently cannot access public rehabilitation and they're paying out of their own pocket. So they've got a trust fund set up for that family. So if you want to donate to that, if you can, that is shared on the Gippsland Footy Facebook page as well. And to cap it off, I'm almost out of breath, but I've got a little bit left. Uh, Country Footy Scores, who's been doing a a few little fun things throughout the last couple of weeks with uh, footy jumpers and mascots and that sort of thing. Uh, They announced their most unique jumpers last week so they're, they're now taking votes for a poll on what is the best Vic Country footy jumper so that poll is up until Monday 7pm um, so when this comes out uh, you'll have probably a couple of hours to vote on that if you haven't already there were a couple of Gippsland clubs that were in the mix there so it was a top 16 list I had uh, sorry, he had at that stage. I know Long Warrior and Kilcunder Bass were in there, but there's definitely a couple of jumpers there that could be worth voting for. So if you haven't done that already, go and do that at countryfootyscores.com. Nice work by you. Um, 
I'm surprised you have any time for family when uh, all you do is sit on social media and get all these uh, nuggets of gold uh, 24-7. It's pretty impressive that you're able to bring it all into one one conversation and keep it to, what, under 10 minutes. It's pretty impressive stuff, mate. So <laughs> well done and plenty of people just jump on the, the Gippsland footy Facebook page and uh, pretty sure you'll know everything there is to know about footy in the area. You can even jump on Dan Eddy Books' Facebook page and you can check out what's happening with uh, my latest books as well. Uh, some good photos there with uh, former teammates of Peter Crimmins who are holding his um, holding a copy of his book that I've sent out to them and they've uh, likes of Peter Hudson and um, David Parkin and a few others and a few more in the works in the coming days as well. Just a bit of fun just to promote the book. But it's pretty good, the old social media, for certain things, isn't it? It can get us... Um, and keep us interested. Um, some of it don't need to look at or read, but uh, there's, there's mm-hmm. lots of fun stuff as well that just uh, gives us a little smile in an otherwise difficult time in our lives at the moment. But, uh, yeah, no, good stuff by you. Again, Mr Carter. Thank you, Mr Eddie. Yes, uh, social media does have some very positive aspects to it. Uh, and as you say, it has some very negative aspects to it at times. And there's been times where you're interested in a story that gets posted and you just tell yourself, don't look at the comments, don't look at the comments, don't look at the comments. Uh, and then yeah, you look yeah. at the comments and you immediately regret it. But yeah, um, yeah look, there. Before we sign off, there was a couple of little AFL news stories I wanted to touch on before we disappear into the night, proverbially. Elijah Taylor getting banned for uh, sneaking in his girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he won't make that mistake again. That was nah. uh, a bit of a balls off from, from the young fella at Sydney. Uh, yeah, he got the, got the talking down from the Premier of the state. So uh, I don't think he'd be too popular in the Sydney club rooms at the moment. No, I wouldn't have thought so. Um, uh, the Saints news, so Max King got the Rising Star nomination in, in round 12. So, look, he's been pushing for something like that for a while now. So credit to him for his consistency. The interesting one for me, uh, uh, before I actually jump on that, uh, another COVID-19 breach. So Peter Laddams and Dan Houston from Port getting their suspensions for inviting guests to their house. And you sit there and you think, I oh, know Michael Voss jumped on uh, either SEN or SEN South Australia and said how disappointed he was because they've just pummeled it into these guys, do not breach these guidelines and restrictions. And yep. you just have to sit there and scratch your head and go, what are you thinking? And I know some people are sitting there going, oh, this is really, this really no good. I can't, I really want to do something, but you just got to, you just got to grit your teeth and bear it, I think. And the, the position torch. they're in, they should know better. Yeah, they're the torchbearers for a billion-dollar industry, aren't they? So um, it only takes one stuff up. And you know, some of them you look at and think, oh, it's not much in that. But, yeah, when it can be the, the make or break between shutting down a, a major industry that is keeping a lot of us uh, our spirits up during these dodgy times, um, yeah, you need to come down hard and... Hopefully, hopefully that's the extent of the. But yeah, young blokes who are world beaters, and as we know, you, you don't think anything can affect you, but um, mm. you don't think of the flow-on effect either. So uh, a few wake-up calls there, and Port were probably happy to get the win when uh, they did have to uh, drop a couple of those blokes for that very reason, mate. I think we've uh, 
waffled long enough. I think we've covered everything. I've waffled. You've you've given <laughs> some amazing insights, whereas I've just dribbled <laughs> on a bit, and I've had a frog in the throat all night, so I apologise for that. I don't think I've got the virus uh, coming up, but uh, <laughs> I've just got a bit of a, a bit of a tickle in the throat. But thank you again, Owen Carter. Fantastic stuff, mate. Uh, Exciting times probably for your Saints. Not exciting times at all for my Bombers. Uh, really, really disappointing, <laughs> to be honest. Um, we're taking some very small wins here. When one bloke kicks a goal, we're seeing that as a highlight for the year. But, um, yeah, long way to go. But your Saints right in the mix, and they've got a massive game this week against the Dees. You'll be looking forward to that. Um, what else are you looking forward to this round, mate, just before we sign off? I am looking forward to the probably the last uh, real break in between rounds. Uh, I'll <laughs> utilise that time to uh, catch up on a couple of TV shows and, and spend some time with the family. And, uh, yeah, do that. Then, then brace myself for uh, another festival of footy, as I like to call it. And then, uh, yeah, the, a solid month and a bit of, of footy and, and we'll... Not grit, grit our teeth and bear it, but uh, yeah, we'll just uh, plug along and enjoy the ride, as it were. That's it. Any given Monday for the 24th of August. Thank you for being part of it. We look forward to chatting with you again next Monday when there will be plenty more to talk about. Any given Monday.